Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Backdrop. I'm your host, Matt Considine. In part two of our Masters preview, PJ Malik, statistician and researcher for the PGA Tour Radio and Fox Sports, takes us from 1980 all the way to present day. PJ's encyclopedic golf mind is a real treat, so enjoy a few untold stories and lesser-known details about this glorious first week in April, the Masters. All right, so uh, just quickly going through the 1980s. Uh, 1980, Seve Ballesteros, young Spaniard, becomes the first European winner of the Masters. He shoots 13-under, and he's the youngest winner at 23 years old. Um, 1985, one of my personal favorites, just because he's my favorite player of all time, and uh, could have been the greatest comeback story in the history of golf. Um man named Curtis Strange ends up shooting 80, eight over par on Thursday. He comes back on Friday with a 65. He shoots 68 on Saturday, and now he's two shots back of leader Ray Floyd after 54 holes. Curtis shoots four under on the front nine on Sunday Sunday afternoon, and he's making the turn standing on the 10th tee with nine holes left to play in the Masters, and he's got a four-shot lead. Curtis ends up hitting two balls and he ends up hitting a ball in the water on 13 makes bogey and then ends up hitting his five iron from the middle of the fairway on 15 makes bogey and ends up losing uh, by two shots to Bernard Langer one of his one of Curtis's toughest losses you know of his career uh just to quickly go through uh 1986 which is probably Wait, hold on let's, let's stay on oh, sorry let's stay on, no I want to stay on uh on Curtis because I know he's uh, close to you, um, I've been always fascinated by Curtis Strange, and I I gotta admit, probably as a kid, I was I was a hater because he just seemed so serious. Um, right. But he, when he was on, like in since we're on the '80s, I mean, he was like one of the hottest guys in the '80s. He was he was like unbeatable yeah. when he was on, right? Right. Yeah. So from really from probably '85 to '89, he was. He was probably the best player in the world. Um, him and Greg Norman were kind of vying for that position. This was, you know, kind of Seve was kind of at his run, but not really anymore. Um, you know, Faldo wasn't Faldo yet. Uh, so during those, you know, mid to late 80s, it was really, it was kind of strange in Norman. And, um, you know, he was by far the, the best American player. Um, and so, you know, Curtis, you know, I've known Curtis since, you know, I was born. And, you know, he's... He's just a great man. He's, you know, he's like an uncle to me. Um, you know, I've known him forever and he's been unbelievable to me and my brother and, um, you know, to my family and, and he and my dad are very close. And, uh, you know, I think Curtis, you know, people, when I tell people that Curtis is my favorite player, they're like, oh, it's because you know him. And, you know, yeah, it probably is. But it's also because, you know, I love the way that he grinded and that the way that he, you know, I've heard stories about how he, He'd stand out on the range until his hands bled, and that's when he knew to stop practicing and stuff like that. That he always felt like he didn't have the most talent in the world, but he could just grind everybody out. And you, know, you see that when you know he won his back-to-back U.S. Opens in '88, '89, and uh, you know nobody had done that until until Brooks did it this year. But uh, you know, I think you know Curtis is Curtis got a bad rap for you know being stern and being focused. But you know, if you if you sit down and have a couple beers with him today i mean you he quickly become one of your favorite players because he's just he's great he's hilarious he he tells unbelievable stories and 
you know, he's just a lot of fun to be around now. But, you know, back then that was his job. And he, you know, he kind of saw it as, you know, I don't go to your office and I'm not interrupting you, you know, while you're doing your work. And so he kind of felt like, you know, I'm, I'm in my office, you know, this is, this is what I'm trying to do. This is my living. And this is how I feed my family. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm focused. And if that means that I got to, you know, you know, maybe not talk to some fans after a round because I shot 75, that's what, you know, that's what he's going to do. And, you know, that rubs people the wrong way. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I think he, he'd admit that, you know, he might've, He'd change some things, but you know, I think it still he, you know, he wouldn't trade anything. Yeah, I I uh, love him on the telecast, and it's almost like he's a totally different than he was as a player. But I could see, I can see why now. Um, that Masters, so eighty-five Masters, he's eleven under on uh, the next forty-four five holes after shooting eighty, yeah. and 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 you said it was one of the hardest losses. So from him personally, why was it? Why was it that hard? Uh, I think it was just, you know, he had just had his uh, second son, David, the week before the Masters. And, um, you know, he shoots 80 on Thursday. I think he felt like, you know, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to see my see my newborn son and just kind of relax. And I think, you know, going into Friday, he talks about how he was just trying to find something to help him going into next week's tournament on tour. You know, he was just trying to find something that would click. And, uh you know, he obviously found something that really clicked because he goes out and he shoots seven under and all of a sudden he's on the leaderboard. And, um, you know, he had to quickly cancel his plane ticket back home to Virginia and he was staying in Augusta for the weekend. And, um, you know, he, he ends up losing the Masters and, you know, he talks about how he, you know, he comes home later that Sunday night and he sees his wife, Sarah, and he and Mrs. Strange just kind of sunk to the floor and, in their garage and they cried. And, you know, I think he, he realized, you know, what a big deal it was. And I think he, you know, I I think it was just the emotions of, you know, being way out of the tournament to all of a sudden now he's in it. And now he's, you know, now he's leading the tournament and it looks like he's going to win. You know, it's just, I can't imagine the roller coaster of emotions that he was going through in those, you know, in those 72 hours. But, um, you know, I think he, the next week he, he goes out back on tour and uh, he runs into Jack Nicholas in the clubhouse and Jack looks at me and he goes, you'll be all right. He goes, you know, we all do it. It happens to everybody. You'll be okay. And, you know, Curtis says that, you know, that meant a lot from Jack. That was, you know, something they didn't need to do. And it was, you know, he appreciated it. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's a cool story. I wasn't expecting that one, but that's powerful stuff. Just the, the highs and lows, uh, new kids into the world and, and having the lead at the masters and then it slips away. It's, uh, that's crazy moving. Um, so 86, we all know 46 year old Jack right. Nicholas wins the six masters. I think we've all, all watched the, uh, the highlights on YouTube. And if you haven't yeah. just go do it, we'll, we'll save you the time. Um, let's get, uh, let's get in the nineties. Okay, cool. So 1990, uh, you know, an Englishman by the name of Nick Faldo, he's defending his championship that he won in 89 on a, in a uh, playoff over Scott Hoke. He made about a 30-footer on the 11th hole to win his first green jacket. And uh, in 1990, Faldo actually becomes the second player to successfully defend his title. Uh, Jack did it in, from 65 and 66. And uh, Faldo actually ended up winning on the 11th hole in a sudden death playoff again for the second straight year. He defeated Raymond Floyd 
uh, in a playoff effort. And Fowler was actually four shots back with six holes to play coming in in the uh, final round. And uh, Raymond, you know, he had a two-shot lead after 54 holes. He had a four-shot lead with six holes to play, but he bogeyed 17. And Fowler made made three birdies in that stretch. And that's what evened them out. And, um, you know, what's interesting and kind of heartbroken for Raymond is that he, you know, he would have been the oldest player to have won the Masters at uh, 48 years old. And, you know, a lot of people didn't think that he'd be able to, you know, do anything or, you know, he didn't think that he'd be able to compete after that. But he actually, two years later, he did compete again for the Masters for Green Jacket against uh, Fred Couples, and he, he ended up losing to Freddie by two there. But it just shows, you know, the competitor that Raymond Floyd was. Yeah, he's got some of the best quotes on golf of anybody. <laughs> I, I really like that guy. Best tripper, uh, best tripper of all time, I think. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable touch. touch. Yeah. Um, all right, what about can – we, can we go to 97? Are we ready for that one? Yeah, I think so. What happened there? I don't remember. I, 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 <laughs> I was not paying attention. No, this is the tournament that changed my relationship probably with golf. Like I, I love golf. I played since I can remember. Um, but I think in 1997, I decided I was going to be a competitive golfer because 21-year-old Tiger Woods uh, torches the field. Um, tell us what from, from your research, uh, yeah. you know, give us some insight. All right. So, you know, what a lot of people don't remember is, yeah, you know, Tiger shoots, he shoots 18 under. He wins by 12 over uh, Tom Kite, you know, and Jack Nicholas says that it's a game that he's never seen before, that he's unfamiliar with. And, you know, people are just freaking out. I mean, it's Tiger mania. And um, you know, a lot of people don't remember that, you know, Tiger shot 40 on the front nine that, that week, the first and on Thursday afternoon. He's paired with Nick Fowler, the defending champ. Um, you know, Tiger goes out in 40, not playing well. He birdies the 10th hole. He pars 11. He airmails the green on 12, ends up chipping in for birdie. And so now he's kind of, you know, he's on a run here. And uh, Marco Mira tells a story. A great story that uh you know Marco Mira and Tiger had become good friends when Tiger moved into Mark's Isleworth neighborhood in late uh fall of nineteen ninety six. And um you know the week before the Masters, which you know is very well documented, Tiger went out to Isleworth with Mark and shot his famous fifty nine, thirteen under. And so on the fifteenth hole there was kind of a backup and Mark was playing in the group behind Tiger. And so they were sitting on the bench just kind of waiting, hanging out. And, and Mark looks at Tiger and he goes, you know, dude, what are you doing? He's like, you're, he's like, how do you shoot 40 on the front nine? He's like, you just shot 13 under last week with me. He's like, just think that you're playing me. He's like, that you make everything when you're playing against me. He's like, just act like you're playing your buddy. And so from then on, so, you know, Tiger, he birdies 15, or sorry, he eagles 15, goes on this run. He misses like a 10 footer for birdie on 18 to shoot 29. But, you know, he, he ends up shooting two under for the day, 40-30, and then, you know, just blitzes the field the rest of the week. And, you know, my maybe my favorite golf quote of all time is Tiger sitting in Butler Cabin with Jim Nance and Nick Faldo, and they, uh, you know, Nance asks Tiger to recap the week, and Tiger looks at him and he goes, you know, he's like, I, I've never played an entire tournament with my A game. And he goes, and this this was pretty close. 
Minus that front I think nine. that kind of sums up. That sums, yeah, that sums up Tiger's competitiveness. Yeah, yeah. I I've always been interested in the relationship between O'Mara and and Woods, because um, at that time, you know, I had that Tiger fist pump hanging on my wall in 1998 when uh, O'Mara ends up winning, and yeah. that was his. Was that his one and only green jacket? Yeah. So, you know, Mark kind of, you know, at 41 years old, all of a sudden he kind of had this resurgence and he credits it a lot to the tiger and, you know, kind of having him, you know, and, you know, just kind of put, I guess, kind of, you know, reinstate his love for the game and his work ethic. You know, Mark was getting older in his career. He was 41 years old and he was kind of winding down a little bit and, you know, having tiger move into his development, I think it helped uh, Mark out a lot with his game. And uh, so, you know, at 41 years old, Mark, Mark wins his first major championship and he, you know, he ends up birdieing 17 and 18 to win by one shot over Freddie Couples and David Duvall. And, um, you know, later that, later that year in July, Mark ends up winning the British Open at Royal Birkdale and, um, you know, in a four hole playoff. But, uh, you know, Mark, you know, he's known for, I think just, you know, his steadiness, you know, he was, he was, he won uh, 16 times on tour, two two majors, and uh, you know, that was his 15th Masters that he played in his career, and it was you know a record attempt at that time before a win. And um, you know it just shows I think his you know relationship with Tiger you know helped him out a little bit, and you know kind of got the juices flowing, his competitive juices flowing, and you know I you know it was just his time. He said he talks about how you know, he wasn't really expecting anything. He wasn't hitting it well going into that week. He wasn't putting very well going into that week, but you know, it just so happens that that was, that was his time. Yeah. And, and just to do it the year after he said that, you know, the backup on the par three, he turns to tiger and says that you know, tiger gets it done. And then he spends a year probably chasing him and watching him. And um, that just to me is a great lesson in competition. Like, if, if right. anything, you know, it's easy to, to resent your competition or say like, or, or uh, you know, but it's, it's much better practice to befriend your competition and, and figure out, Hey, what makes these, these guys tick? What makes them do what they do? What can I learn? And uh, I think, I just think sports in, in general are filled with stories like that, where you, you, you just see somebody rekindle that competitive spirit. And uh, it's usually due to somebody that they're playing against or playing with. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually there's a great story. So David Duvall was tied for the lead uh, when Mark was coming down 18, and David had finished a couple groups in front of Mark and Freddie Couples, and so he was sit, sitting in Butler's cabin with Jack Stevens, and they're watching the broadcast. And uh, Mark comes up to the 18th green, and he's got his 20 footer for birdie to to win the tournament. And Jack kind of Jack Stevens leans over to David Duvall, and he kind of bumps him on the shoulder, and he goes, "David, don't worry." nobody makes this putt. You're going to go to a playoff. <laughs> and, and so lo and behold, you know, Mark makes the putt. And so Jack gets, Jack Stevens gets up, looks at David, shakes his hand. And he goes, David, and we're excited to see you back here next year. And so, you know, everybody was kind of pushing David out of the, out of the cabin so they could set up for, for the interview with Mark <laughs> and Jim Nance. <laughs> They're, you know, on to the next one. So, <laughs> Talk about Mr. Close but no cigar, David Duvall. Man, that guy yeah. had so much game and just yeah. uh, it se- seems to be a um, 
circumstance that he never really got many of the big ones. And, uh, but Hey, world number one. I mean, the guy, the guy is in the history books. Yeah. I mean, he did it, you know, he did it at a time in 99 when, you know, Tiger was winning everything and he did it again in 2001, you know, right after Tiger won his Tiger slam. So, I mean, it was pretty crazy. You know, the times that David got to number one in the world was right in the thralls of, of, you know, Tiger mania. Um, you know, David, I kind of attribute to somebody, you know, I kind of put him in the same class as a guy like Tom Weisskopf, ton of talent, great ball striker. Um, you know, very serious, very quiet. Um, you know, only won one major championship, and that was the British Open that uh, Weisskopf won in 1973. Um, you know, I think they both are known for their close calls at Augusta. I mean, Tom Weisskopf had four runners up at at the Masters uh, with no wins. Um, you know, David David was second in 1998. He was third, I believe, in 1999. Um, in 2000, he was paired in the final group with VJ, and uh, he was right there until the end. And then he, you know, he dumped it in Ray's Creek on 13. Um, and then in 2001, he finished second again to Tiger. So you know, David realistically had you know four Masters there where he could have won four years in a row. I mean, he he was right there on the back nine on Sunday. And you know, I think they're kind of you know in that echelon of players where they were so close to you know achieving such great things and they just kind of were in the wrong wrong period of time i mean david was playing in the tiger area tiger era and uh weisskopf was playing in that nicholas era yeah yeah that's a great comparison i've never thought of it that way but absolutely um so we're in the 2000s because you fucking duval and and you mentioned the tiger slam in 2001 Quick question: Are you born yet? Yeah, yeah I, I'm. So Tiger wins the Tiger Slam. I'm six years old. Okay, we've been talking for an hour and twenty minutes, and, and you just now, uh, you know, you're you're, you're on the planet. Um, it's crazy all the knowledge you have from the prior. But so let's talk. Uh, let's talk two thousands. Um, two thousand one, he wins the Tiger Slam, which was the uh, with the four in a row, basically ending at the Masters. Yeah, so you know, Tiger in two thousand, he he wins the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach by fifteen shots. Uh, he shot twelve under, and you know, Ernie Els and Angel uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez were at three over. And then uh, you know, he wins the British Open in two thousand at St Andrews by eight shots. Never hits it in a bunker for seventy two holes, which is just ridiculous. And then uh, wins the two thousand. PGA Championship at Valhalla in Louisville, Kentucky, in a uh, playoff over Bob May. And so, you know, from August to um, April of 2001, that's all the golf world was talking about was can Tiger Woods win four majors in a row? Can he, you know, it's not in the same calendar year, but, you know, nobody's nobody's done this before since, you know, nobody's done it since Bob Jones. And, you know, can he, can he win four majors in a row? And so he goes, you know, into – 2001 Masters with a lot of pressure on him and ends up birding the last hole and, you know, wins by two shots over David Duvall. And, you know, was paired with Phil Mickelson, who becomes, you know, one of his great rivals. Uh, he was paired with him in the final group. And, you know, they kind of had a little back and forth. Uh, you know, Duvall took the lead kind of early on in the back nine for, you know, a very quick time. And then Tiger regained it back after a birdie. He made it at the 11th hole. Uh, he almost holds out. And, you know, I think this 
you know, Tiger just kind of put the clamps down late in the round, kind of what he, you know, became known for is that he was, you know, he was like Michael Jordan. He was the best closer, you know, in the history of golf. And, uh, you know, comes to 17, makes a good par there. And then, you know, comes down in 18 with a one shot lead and all he's got to do is make par and he sinks, you know, a 10 footer for birdie. So, and, you know, history's made. Yeah, that was another great one to watch. Um, that's pretty, pretty miraculous mm-hmm. achievement. Yeah. Um, did was that? Did Tiger proofing start right after that? What's your take on yeah. on Tiger proofing when they started redoing uh, the golf course? Yeah, so Tiger proofing started in, I mean, kind of you know right after that tournament. I mean, during that summer and stuff, they started they started uh, lengthening the golf course. They lengthened it in two thousand two by four hundred and fifty yards. So some of the holes they lengthened were uh, the first hole, uh, seven through eleven. They lengthened fourteen and they lengthened eighteen. Um, and so the 18 now, you know, they kind of, I don't know if you've ever been to Augusta, Matt, have you? I have. Yeah. I got, uh, we're, we're not to my stretch, but I had three, three years where I got, uh, I got to be down there and it's miraculous, okay. special place. It's, yeah. And, uh, so 18, you know, they have that shoot back there at the tee box now, um, because they, you know, they lengthened it about 40, 50 yards, but, uh, you know, before it was, you know, Tiger in 2001, I don't think the members were too happy when he came up on the 18th hole and he had driver 70 yards. He had a little flip wedge in there and, you know, just blew it over the bunkers like it was, you know, he airmailed them by 50 yards. Yeah. It was, you know, he didn't even think about it. And so I think that, you know, put some, you know, red lights in the people, into the members' heads that didn't, you know, agree with them. And uh, they started lengthening the course for good reason. I think, you know, it, I think – yeah, I think the only hole that uh, that's a little different is the seventh hole, just because they lengthened it a lot and it's a lot tighter. But uh, but I still, you know, I think the changes were necessary. I think all the holes they did a great job with. Um, you know, they it it's technology. I mean, what you know, what are they going to do? They're going to have people hitting you know sixty yard pitch shots in the seventh hole. I mean, they just they just can't do that anymore. You know, they they'd murder the golf course. I mean, it wouldn't be. They don't want to burn out the greens. They don't want to do anything crazy to that. So, you know, they took what's they did what they thought was necessary. And hey, I mean, it's you know, it's just the change of times. It's you know, they yeah. they've been doing changes to the golf course since 1942. I mean, that's you know, they've they've been doing it for a long time. So, you know, they did it. Uh, they changed. They made changes to the golf course after the 1935 uh, Masters, after Gene Sarazen won. You know, so they. They they're always tinkering. They're always kind of the first, you know, golf course to first club to recognize technology and the changes and and they're you know it's warranted. They can you know it's, hey at the end of the day it's their golf course. They can do whatever they want. I mean they're not associated yeah. with the PGA of America. They're not associated with the USGA. They don't have to listen to you know the higher ups of you know Mike Davis. You know they they can do whatever they please to do with it and and they've done a remarkable job and they've done you know they've their changes have been great. It, it really hasn't taken away from, you know, the lure of the course. One of the things I remember about the whole tiger proofing discussion and all those, you know, lengthening the course by 500 yards or whatever is uh, the very next champion. 2003 is a guy who's just, you know, hitting little dinkers out there to 275. Mikey Weir. Right. Weirzy. Yeah. So, so yeah, Weirzy. I think it kind of, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, when you think, you know, you talk about tiger proofing and, uh, you know, 
we don't want Tiger to be overpowering golf course, stuff like that. But, you know, that was just something that the media made up. I mean, nobody, you know, at Augusta ever came out and said that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in 2002, you know, they made the, they made the changes. Uh, you know, Tiger's the next champion after they make the changes. So, you know, it, it didn't really, you know, I think, honestly, I think Tiger proofing, it just, it gave Tiger more of an advantage. Because at that time, he was, he was the longest hitter on tour, other than John Daly. And, um, you know, he, he prides himself on ball striking and, you know, making, making the right club selection and his course management. And so, you know, making the course longer for, you know, for Tiger Woods, is, that just, that takes out even more of the field. He didn't have to worry, you know, in hindsight, you know, he did, but you'd think he wouldn't have to worry about guys like Zach Johnson or, uh, you know, Mike Weir or Ben Curtis, guys like that who don't, you know, kind of are wedge players and they don't, they don't are known, they're not known for their length. But, uh, yeah, in 2003, that was, that was not the case. Uh, you know, Mike Weir becomes the first, first lefty and the first Canadian golfer to, to win the Masters and win a major. And, uh, you know, he shoots seven under. He was in a, a sudden death playoff with Len Matisse. Uh, another kind of, you know, unknown journeyman player. It was his first Masters as a professional. Uh, he played back in the 80s as an amateur, uh, as a college student from Wake Forest. But uh, Len, you know, he played great on Sunday. Uh, just kind of, you know, he had a long wait for Mike to come in to finish his round because Weirzy was in the last group. And, um, you know, they, they go to the 10th hole, sudden death, and both hit good tee shots and, you know, lens up first and kind of pull hooks a six iron from the middle of fairway into into those long high pine trees and just was never able to you know kind of escape from that and mike was able to make a bogey five and still become the master champ i will go back and watch the the 2003 masters um i i totally forgot about lemon but now you're saying i remember being with my uh college golf team at that time for freshmen and we're watching we're all just pulling for len because you know yeah. you just knew he was the grinder he's been out there so long he's an iron man and um I, I need to go back and watch that that's a great reminder yeah i mean the 2003 the major championship season was pretty crazy i mean you got kind of a laundry list of just random guys i mean mike weir had a great career uh jim furick was the 2003 us open winner at Olympia Fields in Chicago and he you know he had another another probably Hall of Fame career but uh Ben Curtis you know was the 2003 British Open champion at Royal St. George's and then um and then Sean McKeel won the PGA championship up at Oak Hill in Rochester New York so it was just a very kind of you know the, it wasn't the uh the major <laughs> championship is. season that people thought would happen <laughs> what a good one I yeah dude let's just say hypothetically Len Matisse takes down the masters. You got your, your tournament championships out in Hawaii is Len Matisse, Jim Furyk, Ben Curtis, and Sean McKeel. That would have been awesome. Um, <laughs> that would have been, that's really cool. Yeah. As a, as a fellow Northeast Ohioan really appreciate the Ben Curtis references. He is the man. Uh, <laughs> let's go to, let's see, where were we? 2004. Pretty famous win there. Yeah, so another lefty, which I'm sure a lot of people thought that he'd be the first left-hander to win the Masters, but the very next year, Phil Mickelson wins his first major championship at the age of 33 uh, by one shot over Ernie Els. He makes, you know, an awesome putt 
coming down the uh, 18th hole. He makes that, you know, 20-footer from right behind the pin, and you know, he credits that putt to actually Chris DeMarco. Uh, Chris, he was playing his pair with Chris DeMarco in the final group, and uh, Chris hit a chip just short of the green and kind of ran it past Phil's mark, and so he was right on Phil's line. And so if you watch the highlights, actually, you can – Chris hits his par putt, and Mickelson's just running in from behind, looking looking at the read. And uh, Phil says that it broke a little more than he thought it would. And, uh, you know, if you watch that replay and Phil's kind of embarrassing jump at the end there, he uh, the ball just barely sneaks in the side of the hole. Yeah, it, it's an indelible moment for sure in his, uh, his, his vertical leap of, you know, maybe covering a piece of paper as he went yeah, up. Exactly. That's uh, – that's so Phil. It's just so Phil. It's like the perfect Phil time to do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the crazy thing about that year is that, I mean, Ernie, Ernie Ellis, I mean, he, he did not choke that tournament. I mean, he, he made two eagles that day. He made an unbelievable – he made birdie on 15. He made an unbelievable par save on uh, 16. From He hit in the back edge of the green and he two-putted, which from that putt coming downhill on that uh, front left hole location – on 16 is unbelievable. You know, he pars 17, he pars 18. I mean, he, he did everything he needed to do to win the golf tournament. Uh, you know, Phil goes out, he shoots five on on the back nine. You know, he, he, uh, he turned in 38. He's just kind of struggling with his game a little and found something that clicked. And, you know, he shoots a three under 69, uh, and, you know, wraps up his first green jacket, but Ernie, you know, Ernie, people forget about how good Ernie Ells was and how, you know, he, he had so many, you know, chances and just, uh, you know, he kind of, he was another guy that was just kind of plagued by the, you know, the Tiger Woods era. I mean, you know, the guy did win, he won, you know, five major championships. I mean, he, five. Yeah, five. Yeah, how many ma- how many Masters did he have? Uh, he never won a, never won a Masters. Oh, no, he won, uh, sorry, he won four major championships. He won two U.S. Open and two British Open. Two but, British, uh, two U.S., <laughs> two British. Yeah, never won a Masters. Yeah, he was... I, I'm, I was surprised, you know, this is the first mention of Ernie for all these years. And, and uh, yeah, man, he had so such a complete game. It feels like a perfect fit for uh, for Augusta. Yeah, he played, you know, he had a good record there. He played well there in, uh, in 2002. Just was never, you know, the, you figure you know, that course would suit him. And it just, you know, it just was never his time, I guess. So, uh 2005, you know, Woods will win his fourth Masters. Right. Um, I think yep. he uh, – anything to note there, we can I, – I really want to move on, as you – as okay. I uh, alluded to earlier, I really want to move on to, you know, one of the greatest Masters champions of all time, Zach Johnson, uh, and the 2007. But um, before we jump to that, is there anything notable about Tiger's fourth win? Uh, I mean, you know, I think – the replay that we see every year is that chip in that it, on 16 left of the green that Tiger made that, uh, you know, Oh yeah. Just, yeah. That, that's kind of, that's kind of notable. I forgot. That. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's all time best commercial. Yeah. I mean, that was, that couldn't have worked out any better for Nike, the swish just falling in at the end there. But, uh, you know, I mean, Stevie Williams tells a great story. Uh, they were standing on the 16th hole and, Tiger hits the shot and Stevie's looking at it and he goes, I've never seen anybody hit it there for his, you know, 30 years of caddying in the Masters. 
and he didn't he didn't know if the ball was wet. He didn't know if it was he didn't know where it was. He didn't know he he's like it could have been on the sixth green that's next to the you know sixteenth hole. He's like he had no idea what was back there. And Tiger didn't either. Tiger hits it and he looks at Stevie and he goes, What's over there? And Stevie's like, I have no idea. Like I couldn't tell you. And so they get up there and you know, Tiger's got this impossible chip and takes a little nine iron and bumps it in that hill and somehow gets it to check and you know, the the rest is history as they say. The crazy thing is a lot of people don't remember is uh Tiger, you know, that brought Tiger to a two shot lead and he bogeys 16 or he bogeys 17 and 18 and, you know, ends up going into a playoff with DeMarco and, uh, huh. you know, Tiger ends up, they, they go off on 18 that year and Tiger birdies uh, 18 to end the playoff. But, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't remember, you know, at that time Tiger's prime and he was known for closing and he kind of, he stumbles there a little bit. All right. 2007. Zach yeah. Johnson. Iowa's golden son. He ties the uh, highest winning score at plus one, 289. And he he takes down some juggernauts in Tiger Woods and Rory Sabatini. Um, So give us us your take on this year. Because I just remember watching this year and thinking, this tournament is so different. It was just like, it was so different than any other year. Yeah, well, I think... You know, it was a different year. Uh, you know, Phil had just won in 2006. Um, I, you know, they the Augusta, again, made some changes to the golf course. Uh, they didn't love the fact that, you know, Phil had kind of run away with the tournament, I guess. Um, you know, he, he had played very well, and I think they didn't – they felt like the scores were getting a little too low, maybe. And uh, so they, they protected the golf course a little bit. Um, and you know what happened was how so was it was it more length again or did they actually you know uh, make it was more just greens it was just green speed um, you know a lot of players talked about how they just felt like the greens were firmer faster and um, I think what happened too was you know the pin placements were different that week they weren't really their traditional um, you know the, the, it wasn't their birdie fest kind of days and uh, especially on Sunday and. I think what happened is that in combination with the weather, they had terrible weather all week. Um, they had, you know, it was 40s and windy. And, you know, which you can get in in the uh, early weeks of April down in Georgia. But uh, so it kind of played more like a U.S. Open. It played like a golf course that, you know, you had to grind it out and make pars. And um, so that brought a lot of guys into the tournament that, you know, you wouldn't really think would normally have a chance. Um Stuart Appleby was the 54-hole leader. He was paired with Tiger Woods in the final group, and a uh, you know a couple groups in front of them was you know a, a young guy by the name of Zach Johnson, and uh, he just kind of parred the golf course to death. Uh, he's a wedge master. He decided with his caddy Damon Green that laying up on every par five was their strategy for the week, and uh, he says that you know the only time. They only had, you know, a couple of yardages, maybe once or twice that whole week where they thought about laying up. And other than that, they just they were just like, we're going to stick to our game plan. We're gonna we're gonna go to our numbers and you know work our wedges. And uh, that week, you know, you can't really argue with the results. He was 11 under through 16 par fives. So, you know, hey, I mean, the you know the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just just taking that strategy. Do you know has he taken that strategy since? I don't pay attention enough to to notice. Does Zach 
continue to lay up or does he actually go for some of them now? No, he's, you know, I've, I've kind of paid a little attention to it just especially when I was, you know, in college and acting like I was, you know, on my computer in class taking notes and I was actually watching the Masters college. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's everybody every week of the Masters, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty yeah. sure everyone yeah. listening to this is going to be, you know, have that uh, fake spreadsheet up on the right-hand side right. of the computer with the, you know, live coverage cooking on the left. Well, that was the best part about, you know, being on a golf team because it, it was the only week in in the school year that being on the men's golf team at Dayton was actually a cool thing because people come up to you and be like, oh, dude, he's like, the, you know, the Masters is going on. He's been watching it. I'm like, no, I haven't been watch, watching the Masters. I only watch every <laughs> PGA Tour event every week, but I don't watch the Masters. I don't watch the Masters. But, um, That's so true. Being, yeah. being, uh, I'm, I'm blessed to have my, my birthday always falls on the Masters. And so I get like the best of both worlds where – Everybody knows I'm golf obsessed and everybody that knows me kind of remembers my birthdays around the masters. So that whole week I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm a beetle or something. Everyone's like, Oh, you watching the masters. Hey, how have you, you know, how's your birthday going? You got your pimento cheese sandwiches. Oh yeah. I got them all cooking, ready to go. You know, it's like, it's just, it's just a great week. Um, on 2007 being Zach Johnson's great week. What do you, uh, could there have? Do you think there would have been a less popular champion than Rory Sabatini? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we, you know, we we had a we had an interesting champion in 2018, I guess, as you could say. So, I guess we'll, we'll get I, there. I, but, gotta uh, make, I was gonna make that leap, but yeah, Rory. I love just looking at that leaderboard and just seeing, you know. Uh, uh, you got Tiger Woods and Rory Sabatini just right there on the heels of, of Zach Johnson. Um, I love it. I love that year. I'm going to watch. I'm, I'm adding that one to the Rolodex too for uh, the YouTube watches before coverage gets started on Thursday. Sounds good. <laughs> um, all right. Other, other 2000s. If you're getting into the 2010, if we can jump forward to that, yeah. uh, we'll give us, give us some of the more no- notable. All right, so you know, 2011, kind of a you know, kind of a different tournament. It's kind of a more uh, a younger guy tournament. You're just starting to see the Adam Scotts, Jason Days, Rory McIlroys of the world kind of come together. Um, you know, a man that I'm sure a lot of people didn't have on their short list of winning the Masters that year, Charles Schwartzel. He ends up birdieing the last four holes to to win the tournament by two shots over uh, Adam Scott and Jason Day. And you know, I think what a lot of people you know, forget about, or a lot of people remember is, um, you know, Rory McIlroy had a four shot lead going into the, uh, to Sunday that year. And, you know, ends up shooting 80. Um, I think what's just cemented into golf fans memories for, you know, the rest of eternity is kind of that picture of him standing like next to the cabins on the, uh, in, on the 10th hole after duck hooking his tee shot and uh, just kind of, you know, he looks like a little kid who, you know, just stole a cookie out of the cookie jar. I mean, his, his face is just, you can tell what he's thinking is like, Holy crap. I just lost masters. I mean, you know, nobody in the history of the tournament has ever hit a tee shot over there. And, um, you know, he ends up making triple bogey on the hole ends up uh, four putting from about 20 feet on 12. That really just kind of derailed his, derailed him even further um 
you know, and, and it's too bad because Rory, you know, he was – that was the time. You know, I would have been 15 at the time, just about be 16. So I was a I was a freshman in high school. And, uh, you know, Rory was becoming one of my favorite players. You know, he was – he had so much talent. And, you know, he, you know, he had a cool name, you know, that nobody could really – uh, pronounced in the first couple of years and you know he he was just killing everybody and you know this young northern irish kid that you know he looked like he was going to be the next tiger woods he really did and uh you know the the nice thing for Rory is that he kind of redeemed it and ended up winning by eight shots in the next masters at the uh or not the next masters the next major championship the u.s open at congressional a few months later in june but um you know, Rory, I think that was a big learning lesson for him. And obviously he hasn't had too much trouble, you know, closing majors since he's, he's four for four since he's had the lead in a couple of them. And, you know, he's, he's had a solid career so far and I'm sure he'll, he'll get his master's victory soon. Yeah, no, it's a uh, fan favorite still. And maybe another good one to go watch. Cause he's, he's definitely coming into form this year. It seems like, um, 2012 Bubba Watson. That's a that's definitely one people will remember. Yeah, so Bubba, uh, you know what's crazy about that tournament again is that a lot of people kind of forget. You know, Louis season, he and Bubba Watson are paired, and uh, in the last couple groups, the the Masters that year, and Louis on the second hole, standing from about two forty out, and hits this three iron that just kind of never leaves the flag, runs up on the front edge of the green and just rolls about 85 feet into the hole for a two. And, uh, you know, I was actually in attendance. That's the only Masters I've been to. And I was in attendance with my brother and my dad. And Get we out. were sitting Dude. on – Yeah, we were we were actually sitting I was, on the second I was green there. right behind the hole. Were you? I, I was there too. This is, this is going to be crazy. the one I had that I can actually contribute. Uh, so where where were you when this – the second shot heard around the world goes in. Uh, we were on the set. We were right behind the second green, watching them come in. Dude, I'm not kidding you. I was standing on seven green, and I had to turn okay. around when I heard it. So yeah. I was literally. Okay. We were within in the same part of the world at the Masters, within 30 feet of each other, watching. <laughs> that's crazy. That that's insane, dude. That is crazy. That's oh, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was anyway, like a bomb it, went off. It was. I, I've <laughs> never heard. A, I tell this all the time. I never heard a roar like that. Like there's, there's, uh, you know, even on the back nine, I, I was sitting, you know, more in an amen corner when it's coming down the stretch for actually three of those years. I got to ten, and it was there was no comparison. Like everybody's, it's like a combination of shock and like what, like boom, we're here. It's Sunday at the Masters, and Louis Usazen is now leading the tournament with a double eagle on number two. I felt like there was just so much adrenaline after that. It was like it was just wild. Yeah, and I, and I think you know, I remember thinking to myself, "I'm like, all right, he's he's got this in the bag because it, it took him from seven under to ten under." Um, you know, I, I think it just kind of it made it look like he he was going to be the guy. I mean, he, it was his it was his week and. He just never really took. He didn't really do anything with the lead. He never expanded it. You know, he didn't do. He didn't do what a lot of guys would do with it. You know, he he just kind of stayed at ten under. He never really. He never took it to you know thirteen or fourteen. He never pushed it forward. And uh, you know, I 
I think that kind of bit him a little bit. You know, Bubba ends up playing the back nine very well, kind of goes through in corner at a couple under, and he, you know, kind of, he just, he, he played better than Louie down the stretch, and they end up going into a sudden death playoff. Uh, they both par 10, and they, or sorry, they both par 18. They go to the 10th hole, and, um, you know, Bubba hits that big pull tee shot into the right-handed trees, and, Louis splits the fairway, and you're thinking, all right, advantage Louis season, and that's uh, that's not what happened. <laughs> wow, yeah, I mean, the the uh, duck hook wedge out of the trees, forty yard yeah. hook. Um, on, it's just that was such a cool, <laughs> such a cool Masters moment. Uh, yeah. Curious where you were with that. Did you guys hang around until the, the playoff, and and if so, where where were you guys? Yeah, so we were. <laughs> Uh, my dad, my brother, and I were probably actually, somewhere uh, way cooler than I was. That's my guess. <laughs> we were in the we were actually in the men's grill room at Augusta National. We were watching it on TV. We uh, we were on eighteen when they came up in regulation, and then when they came down for the playoff. But then uh, you know we went back into the clubhouse. We went in, inside of the clubhouse and were watching it on TV. And I just remember I remember uh, watching the watching them hit the shot. And I could just, I mean, the, the, uh, t- like the plates and glasses, I mean, th- it was shaking on the table. That's how loud the roar was after Bubba hit yeah. his wedge on 10. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was, I've never seen anything like it. So you, you were in a pretty cooler spot than me, but you're humble. So I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> where, where were you? Yeah. So I'm on the right side. Uh, like I'm right over the bunker on 18 to watch them, uh, okay. have, the 18th hole. So they make the turn. We can, we can't really okay. see the tee shots, but we decide that we're going to stay put because, you know, everyone's now migrating down to the green and we're like, well, if they tie there, don't they come back around to 18? I think that was the right. order. Maybe not. Oh, so the old order used to be just 10, 11, 12. They just keep playing, you know, but which that, I think is, that, uh, which I think is much changed. cooler. Yeah. That would be much cooler Definitely. by the way. If, they, if you had like a man corner involved in a playoff, my heart might explode. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm, we, we, we stay on the hillside and people don't realize how severe, I know everyone talks about it that it's been, but how severe that slope is. So we stay right in between 18 and 10, um, probably 40 of 10 T and, and we can just see down and it's kind of a, you know, perfect angle. Cause there's, there's no heads in front of you. Cause it's a hundred foot drop. Um, and so we know that he's in the trees and the people we're standing with, we're talking about him hitting his punch out and, you know. Uh, can he get it up and down to to keep the playoff going? And and so he hits it. We're all just kind of chatting, thinking it's it's a punch out. And I didn't see it. I can't say that I did. Someone we were with saw the actual flight of the ball, and you just hear him go, you know, holy crap! And then it hits the ground and it spins uphill, and everybody goes nuts. I mean, it's still like right. I got goosebumps thinking about it. It was so cool, and uh, yeah. and, and then to see him. We, we stuck around and watched him cry his eyes out. And uh, I don't know. I was never a Bubba fan, but uh, after that, I was kind of like a, uh, it's a, he's, he's that uh, acquired taste that is nice to have around. Yeah. Uh, he's, I mean, he's a freak show. I mean, he's a freak of nature. I mean, the guy, you know, nobody's ever played golf like him before. And I don't think anybody's going to ever play it like him after, uh, you know, as caddy Ted Scott calls or tells kind of a cool story. He says that uh, when they were in that playoff and, you know, Bubba hits his shot out of the woods and 
you know, he's like, everybody's going crazy and they're freaking out. And he just kind of looks above and he goes, oh, good shot. He's like, because he's like, honestly, he's like, I've seen him hit that shot before a million times. He's like, what? he's like, we got down there and he's like, I saw the gap. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, this is fine. I'm like, we're fine here. You know, like he, he like they weren't worried about it because they just knew that he could he could pull it off with ease. Like it, it was just a normal it would have been like for me or you, you know, having a six iron in the middle of the fairway. I mean, it was for them. It was nothing. It was like, oh, you know, here we go. <laughs> it's like this is easy. That's him, man. And that's yeah. I mean, that's that that sums up Bubba's game in a, in a nutshell. That was, that's a good one. Good to relive. Uh, moving on. So our first Aussie gets a ch- title in 2013. Anything to note that year? Uh, you know, another, another great tournament, another, uh, sudden death playoff that finishes on 10. Um, you know, Adam makes, Adam Scott makes two, you know, great putts on, he makes a, uh, about a 20 footer of the Marco Mira putt on the 72nd hole on 18. And then, uh, you know, uh, the crazy thing is that brings him to the lead by himself and, uh, Angel Cabrera kind of right on his heels comes down and hits a seven iron from the middle of the fairway and 18 to about a foot. I mean, he almost jars it and, uh, you know, in the rain. And it's kind of a cool moment. His, his Angel's son is caddying for him and Angel makes the putt to get in the playoff and they're hugging each other. And, you know, it was very, it was very cool. And uh, Angel and Adam are apparently good friends. And so it wasn't, didn't have that, you know, fierce playoff, you know, rival that you'd think of if you're, you know, if it was like a Tiger Phil matchup, but it was, uh, you know, it was very fun. They, they go to 18, they both par, and uh, they go down to the 10th hole, and Adam has himself about a 15-footer uh, for birdie and, and pours it in, and, you know, it's that image of him just, he just looks like he's relieved, you know, he's lifting his hands up in the air, and you can see his caddy, Steve Williams, he's He's running up to him, and you know it's a cool moment for Adam. You know, in the rain there, and it, it was a it was a pretty special moment. Really cool one. Yeah, those pictures are yeah. uh, tons of emotion pulled out at that time. Yeah, and it was a it was definitely a win for my mom because she's a big Adam Scott fan. I think a lot of a lot of the lady listeners, I'm sure, are too. So <laughs> that was a, that was a win for the girls. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well he was Burberry he's now got that other brand but yeah he the ladies like the ladies like uh Apparently, what's your, what's your yeah. next year what what's uh what's your next one that you want to chat about uh you know so you know uh 2014 Bubba won the second green jacket over a 20 year old named Jordan Spieth and the very next year Jordan's a 21 year old and uh wins the Masters by six shots Ties Tiger's scoring record of 18 under, 270. Uh, he's the second youngest winner. He was just a little older than Tiger when Tiger won it. And, um, you know, I think he kind of had, had his hello moment there. He tied Tiger's uh, scoring record, tournament scoring record, of 270, 18 under. And, uh, you know, he was the second youngest winner of the Masters. He was uh, just a little older than Tiger when Tiger won in 97. And, uh you know, yeah, I mean, I think everybody knew who Jordan was at that time. He had a great amateur career, um, you know, won two U.S. juniors. Only other player to do that in history was Tiger Woods, who won three in a row. Um, you know, so Jordan was a very established player. But, you know, the Masters and what he did there, I, I think, it, you know, it, it surprised a lot of people. And he kind of, you know, he, he broke some, some pretty big records that week. Yeah, and, th- and this is like the point where – you know, you're, you're 21, you get all the tire comparisons. Um, 
and and then 2016 it, it was what it was it, it was the you know the opposite of that so yeah. t- talk about like you know being uh, that, that just gotta be tough uh, as a competitor psycho- psychologically going from that you know six shot win in 2015 to to how it went down in 2016 for for speed yeah. tell us a little bit of, of, from your insight yeah, it was kind of it was kind of like his Icarito moment. He got a little too close to the sun, you know, and he just all of a sudden he he kind of he kind of fell off. Uh, he you know he has a five shot lead at the turn. He's playing some unbelievable golf, and you know at that time in the tournament that year there weren't a lot of big names chasing him. Um, he was paired in the final round with Smiley Kaufman, who you know just wasn't playing well that day. It was struggling pretty ha- hard, and uh, he had Danny Willett, um, Lee Westwood, Dustin Johnson in front of him, but they weren't really making any noise. And I think, you know, I think everybody watching the tournament, Spieth included, I think everybody thought he had it in the bag. I mean, this was, you know, wrap it up, it's over. And uh, ends up bogeying 10 and 11. And you know, he goes to 12th hole and he's only, you know, he's only got a two shot lead over Danny Willett. And he, you know, it's very well documented. Jordan, you know, just flares an eight iron into the Rage Creek there, uh, takes a drop, and just, you know, fluffs one, fluffs a wedge right back into Rage Creek, and then, you know, is able to get it into that back bunker and gets it up and down for seven. But, you know, by then, he's all of a sudden, he, you know, it takes him to one under par for the tournament, and he looks like it's, you know, he's unraveling a little bit. It's tough to watch because he's such a guy that you can root for. Uh, it seems like a lot of people were at least, and, uh, and maybe not as many for Danny Willett. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's the uh, Euro version of Rory Sabatini. That's probably unfair, but uh, I I just uh, I remember people being like, "Huh, who's our Masters champ?" Yeah, I think it was you know it was kind of a different year, but yeah, hey, I mean Danny. You know, Danny gets a bad rap because everybody talks about how you know Jordan lost it. But I mean, Danny Willett did. He shot 67 on the final day. I mean, he shot. He went out there and won the tournament. I mean, he shot 500. And you know, I mean, you can say what you want, but hey, I mean, if you shoot 67 in the final round of a, of a major championship, I don't care. You know, I don't care what anybody else did. If that got you to win a tournament, I mean, that's that's good playing. You know, you can't you can't uh, just you can't say that he didn't go out there and it was just handed to him. You know. No, and then his brother partied for three straight weeks, which was entertaining for all of us on Twitter. Uh, all right, um, and and last year, so we we made it, we made it to almost to present day. Or I guess we're not present day. We just finished 2016, so 2017, 2018. Give us some uh, some tidbits there. So 2017, one of maybe the. One of probably my more favorite masters in the last, you know, 10 years. Um, just a really cool day. Uh, you have Justin Rose and Sergio Garcia just battling it out. Uh, they, they kind of separate themselves from the field. They're the two guys that, you know, are the closest to each other. And it's just kind of a back-and-forth battle. Um, you know, Rosie takes the lead kind of early on in the back nine. Looks like it's not he's not going to let it go. And I think the turning point of, of that day was, was the 13th hole. Uh, Sergio ends up, he pulls his tee shot a little bit, clips a tree, goes down to the hazard, uh, takes the penalty shot, and 
ends up laying up and getting down up and down from about 50 yards for the green to make par. And Justin Rose three putts and makes par. And all of a sudden, you know, Sergio's right there, kind of right back in the tournament. And uh, Sergio with birdie, he birdies 14, Eagles 15. And, um, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're in a playoff after the 18th hole. Just, he was, he was so in control. He was so calm you know, going into that playoff against Rose. I just, you could see it like, man, this is Sergio's year. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the moments that I remember is that he misses that, you know, that five-footer for Birdie to win the tournament in regulation. And uh, yeah, I just remember he didn't, you know, he didn't look upset. He didn't look, you know, really, you know, that ticked off at himself. I think he was just confused at the read. But uh, he's walking off the green, and his fiance is standing there, and she just kind of gives him a high five. And he just kind of gives her a little quick nod, like, hey, I got it. Like, don't, you know, don't worry about it. It's fine. Like, and I think that shows you, like, the maturity that Sergio had at that age. You know, if he, if that was, you know, 10 years earlier, I don't know, you know, what would happen. But the fact that, you know, he's able to kind of put that out of his head and, you know, realize, hey, I made a good stroke. It didn't go in. And, you know, let's, I got another chance. It's not the, it's not the end of the tournament for me. I got, I, you know, I can go to 18 and I can finish it up right now. So. Speaking of confused with the read, 2018, Patrick Reed. Uh, maybe not the most popular champ. A lot of people have, you know, they're just not his a fan favorite, if you will, and has kind of a, a little past of past teammates who chat about him. But on, on aside from personal, we're not here to do that. Let's talk the, the achievements he did. I mean, he's one of the yeah. best freaking putters under pressure anywhere. Um, yeah. What, what what are some uh, s- significance to his win last year that that our audience might find of interest? Yeah, I think it's pretty crazy. Uh, I actually have a personal story. So one of my one of my best friends, you know, in the world, who was a, a teammate of mine for at uh, the University of Dayton, Trip French, one of my roommates. He he is obsessed with Patrick Reed. I mean, he loves Patrick Reed for whatever reason. I think it's just a you know, to tick us off and to make I love it. Set. I love I guys he, like that. I love it. <laughs> he just, he loves Patrick Reed. He thinks that, so every year he, that's his, that's his master's pick that it's Patrick Reed. And so last year I remember me and him were doing a pool and he takes Reed. And I'm like, dude, the guy's not even going to make the cut. I'm like, why are you like, you know, really? And he's like, just watch. He's like, just watch. And, you know, of course, you know, we're watching Sunday and he, you know, and Patrick's standing there with the green jacket on and Tripp's, you know, just losing it. I mean, you would have thought that, you know, <laughs> his son had won the Masters. I mean, he was, like, crying. I mean, it was embarrassing. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've, I've never heard of that type of support for uh, for Patty, but that is hilarious. I mean, the guy oh, he's a, just helicoptered his way around the golf course. I, that was, like, literally one of the hardest things to watch. Was, I understand, like – when you when you're trying to hold off a cut that you have to mentally and visually kind of see that that he, you know he plays a pretty aggressive draw i understand and and so you need to like hold it off but like every shot he was hitting like chip shots and then spinning it around his head i was like ill to to watch but um hey that's another character added to the the master's lore and uh and it was great exactly exactly yeah hey i mean Kudos to him. I mean, you know, I think he gets a bad rap, but I mean, the guy is a, he's a hell of a competitor. I mean, he, you know, Saturday night, I remember thinking to myself, you know, watching those press conferences with him and Rory and, you know, they were kind of giving each other the needle a little bit, 
you know, Rory was kind of saying, oh, you know, Patrick's never been in this position before, and he's trying to win his first major, and Rory just kind of goes, you know, I'm trying to win something, you know, a little bigger. And Patrick was just kind of like, hey, you know, this is what I play the game for. This isn't, I'm not worried about Rory McIlroy. I'm not worried about what he's trying to accomplish. You know, I, I play this game to win championships. And, you know, and honestly, personally, I like that mentality. I mean, I remember thinking, I remember uh, one of my other buddies I was watching the Masters with, one of my roommates, Phil Johnson, and he's like, he's like, oh, Rory's going to kill Patrick tomorrow. He, Rory's going to shoot 65 and run away with this thing. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm like, I think Patrick's going to hang in there. You know, he might not win the tournament, but he's not going to he's not going to shoot, you know, 75. He's going to hang in there. He's just not that kind of guy. He doesn't care about the media, obviously. He doesn't care about, you know, his, uh, you know, fellow competitors. He He's out there to win tournaments. Yeah, the, the one thing I think he does really well is, like, I, I, I know human nature is to get caught up in, in a storyline, you know, and you go in the media tents and obviously there's going to be these, these great storylines that are being fed and also, you know, playing back in your head. I, I really don't think Patrick Reed buys into any of them or, or even like no. hears them. Like he, he, you look, Bill, Bill Burr did this great stand up talking about like, you know, people that walk amongst us that look totally normal, but are complete psychos and you can see it in their eyes. Um, not to say Patrick's a complete psycho, but he's got that like, yeah, I, I'm not in your world right now. I'm in mine and nothing is right. going to break me out of it. Uh, and it's so, hey, he's he, like you said, he's a phenomenal competitor and uh, he's our master's champion. So we're in yeah. 2019. We, we've made it to the master's week of 2019 uh, before right. we jump to uh, no, let's just jump. Let's jump to this year. Let's go with. Um, our picks for the year, I think feel like that's probably a good way to end this. Uh, okay. you know, who, who, do, who do we like and, and who are our selections? Maybe we do, um, what should we do? Maybe, uh, uh, one of the heavy cards that, you know, ha- is, is favored and, and then also do a, a dark horse. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, why don't stop? You want to get started? Sure. Yeah. So my, I think my uh, my thoroughbred, my pick this year, I honestly think and believe that, uh, you know, just the way he started out this year and the way he's been playing the last four or five tournaments, I think uh, I think Rory McIlroy is going to go out this year and get it done. I think you're going to see something historic from him. I think he's, you know, I think he's uh, tired of answering all the Grand Slam questions every year at Augusta. I think he's, you know, ready to kind of break through again. And, you know, it's been – it's been five years since he won a major championship at uh, at Valhalla, the 2014 PGA. So, you know, I think he's, I think he's ready. I think he his game looks like it's in place. If he can get that putter going, I think he can he can, you know, do some damage. I think it's going to be a pretty historic week for him. And I, I look look to him, you know, wearing that green jacket on Sunday night. Yeah, that's that would be a good one, man. I, I know. Uh... Boy, a lot of people are are pulling for for Rory yeah. to to get one of these green jackets, and uh, it feels it feels like a good year to do it. I like that pick. That's uh, yeah. it's obviously a popular one, but I I would love to see it. Who's your Who's your dark horse? My dark horse, I think my forever dark horse at the Masters because it's one of my favorite stories of all time is Martin Keimer, and I say that because Martin holds the Masters in the highest regard possible. I mean, he 
is obsessed with this golf tournament. And, you know, he famously changed his entire game after winning the PGA in 2010. He changed his entire game to win the Masters. He always hit a fade, and he decides that he's going to completely tear down his golf swing to hit a draw to suit the golf course. And it kind of derailed his career a little bit until 2014 when he kind of got it back on track. But, you know, Timer always kind of has these years where he kind of disappears and then comes out of nowhere and wins a major championship by, like, six shots, like he did at uh, Pinehurst in 2014. And my fa- one of my favorite stories of all time, the uh, famous writer John Feinstein was talking to Martin after he won the U.S. Open at Pinehurst, and he was t- telling Martin, hey, you know, you've had an unbelievable career. You've won two major championships. Are you the greatest German golfer of all time? And... Martin's like, well, you know, Bernhard, Bernhard Langer won two majors. You know, I don't know if you can put me in that category with him. You know, he he's a two-time major champion. And Bernhard, of course, won the 1985 and uh, 1993 Masters. And so Feinstein kind of looks at at Keimer and goes, well, you know, Martin, you, you're a two-time, two-time major champion. You've won two majors. And Keimer with a straight face, looks at Feinstein and goes, I only count the Masters as major championships. <laughs> no way. I've never heard that quote. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, I only count the Masters. He goes, he won. He, Bernhard won the tournament that counts. He goes, I don't count. He's a, I don't count the others as major championships. That's how much he, he loves this tournament. And, you know, it'd be pretty cool if he, if he got it done. Wow. Wow. Dude, a comment like that, it makes me, uh, think like okay kid growing up in germany and bernard you know wins and uh it's well published but i i just compared to the other majors and, and it has so much to do with being at the same place every year like you know everyone listening to you walk through all these incredible uh it, historic highlights and details you know they're there with you because they watch it on tv they know what 13's dog leg looks like they know what the pond shape is on 16 so they can visualize it you know and right. I just think, like, for him to say that for the, for the longest time, like, since 1929, the initial piece of this, I think the Masters as a, as a whole or- organization and a whole, uh, uh, you know, iconic event is just, like, one of the best marketers. You know, they just, they have, they have yeah. told this story so well for so long that a kid growing up in Germany is like, yeah, that's the only Masters. <laughs> and, or that's the only major. Right. Uh, Right. So I, it's it's I love your pick. Love the dark horse of Martin Keimer. Big fan of that one. Um, and like like your uh, your horse, your, your thoroughbred, and Roy McIlroy. So mine, I'm struggling with my thoroughbred. Um, I don't know. I got I got like a fan favorite that is yeah. I guess you'd be classified in, in the upper thoroughbred, but probably a longer shot odds. But I feel good about Xander Shuffley this year. Okay. And. And I don't know, his form has fallen a slight bit, but like mentally, I just hear this kid talk and um, I mean, he is a competitor, but he just seems to be in a really good place. So I, I think Zinder will be in yeah. contention. If I had to put money on on two guys to be in the top 10 though, and this is why I struggled with a eventual uh, winner, I think Justin Rose and Adam Scott are both going to be in the mix this year. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I like the Adam Scott pick. I, I think he's been playing great. Uh, you know, I I just 
I just worry about the putter for him. I think that that ban of anchoring really killed him for you know a couple of years. Uh, I think that you know kind of because he had just figured it out in you know 2012 when he switched to the long putter and he kind of kind of you know reinvigorated his career a little bit. He started playing a lot better, especially you know in major championships. And um, you know I think I, I I like the Adam Scott pick. I would really like the Justin Rose pick. He's played great at Augusta. He's got two seconds there in 2015 and 2017. So you know, I think those are, I think those are good picks. I like them. They're good. Yeah. Well. You know, we'll, we'll we'll go with it for now. Ask me next week; it'll be totally different. Um, my who's dark your, horse. Uh, who's your dark horse? Yeah, my my goal was to have a a uh, a darker horse than yours because I didn't want to have you know I wanted to really push down to the odds where it's like eh, I don't know. Um, but at one seventy five to one, so Martin Keimer is one seventy five to one. I also like Karadesh Epibarnrat. Uh, I probably butchered his okay. last name like I always do, but. The barn rat, man, I'm telling you, as long as it doesn't get too hot, which it's May, I think this is his major. I really do. I think he got it, will get a couple years under his belt, um, you know, just, just ripping cigs like Angel did back in his wins and uh, yeah. and strutting those fairways, man. He he just has so much swagger. I think he's great for the game, and um, and I'm a big fan of of Thailand. So he's he's one of my uh, – sentimental favorites i i didn't give it i have okay. no idea what form he's in i have no idea how he's playing but uh but that's going to be my dark horse all right okay i could uh you know who knows i mean i you know i mean hey crazier things have happened so we'll see we'll, <laughs> we'll find out that's the beauty of the beauty of golf that is the beauty of golf. i personally i personally PJ. didn't realize that he was in the field but <laughs> yeah maybe he's not <laughs> no i think i think he is um well, dude, this was really, really fun for me. Uh, so you'll be at – when do you head to the Masters? Uh, I'm heading down that Sunday the week before. All right, awesome. Well, we'll, we'll look forward to hearing about it uh, afterwards. Maybe we can do a recap with you. And then um, are, are you going to be working for the Western Amateur again in Chicago this year? Well, yeah, not sure yet. Uh, I might actually be playing it, so we're not sure. But uh, it's, in, uh, it's at the Point of, point of Woods this year. Well, yeah, we're we're you know predominantly based here in Chicago, and uh, regardless of of uh, you being up this way or not, we you know your cousin's a member, uh, JB. Gotta yep. give him a shout out here, and yep. and we'll look forward to getting a game of golf with uh, with you this season. Sounds good. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.